This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This Joycast is a free service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. This is On Driven on Joy 94.9, the multicultural show with myself, Hugh, today. On Driven represents peace and understanding in our multicultural GLBITQ community. If you have any comments on the program or would like to ask any questions, you can contact us in the following ways. Facebook, On Driven on Joy 949, SMS 0427JOY949 or email onair at joy.org.au. On today's show, we're talking to Hikaru from the USA about his life in the US, living in the UK and finding love and eventually coming to Melbourne. Today's story has politics, bombings in London, September 11 in New York, love and of course, Hikaru's big love, Eurovision. Stay with us and on Driven on Joy 94.9 to hear another great story. Joy 94.9, this is Orange Ribbon with myself, Hugh, and my guest today is the one and only Hikaru. Uh, Welcome to Orange Ribbon. Thank you so much, Hugh. Oh, I, I, I was just still tapping my foot. To I noticed. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was Akiko Wada, uh, Tiger and Dragon, and uh, that's a song that I've kind of used as like my own uh, personal mantra it, 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 it's it's it just it touches me deeply no it's japanese it is japanese um but you haven't actually been to japan no? i i've been to japan many times i've just Have never you? lived there for a oh, okay. longer period than other th- than three months right okay mm-hmm. so do you have a big collection of Japanese music? Or? I have an absurdly huge collection of Japanese music. It comes, um, like, my favorite genre is um, what's called city pop, which is the, I guess you could call it almost easy listening, but it's, it was a very defined period in Japan from 1975 till about 1990 or thereabouts. Right. Mm. It's, a, it's, you know, it's slightly mellow, but it also sort of goes along with the, you know, coincides with my birth because I was born in 1979. Okay, mm-hmm. just a little bit after me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. Well, let's start the show. Let's tell the listener where you actually come from, because by now they've picked up on the accent. Yeah, the, my, my accent is, does kind of give me away. Um, perhaps if I talk a little bit more like this, then maybe you might guess my, my original accent. But I was born in um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which um, I guess for people who don't know where Milwaukee is, it is essentially the Geelong to Chicago's Melbourne. If that the makes Geelong sense. to Chicago's Melbourne. It's the it's the other big city that is often in another uh, shadow. Oh, okay. That that's right. that's the right. best way I can describe it. Since you know, jo- although Joy has a great reach, so there's tons <laughs> of rival cities. Right. Mm-hmm. So what's the population of Milwaukee? Is a city of about 1.6 million people. Uh, very German uh, and not too big on the minorities although actually it's it's changing a lot um, when I grew up in Milwaukee it was uh, still kind of undergoing a little bit of racial tension and right. uh, the, the big thing I have to stress here is that I am the only member of my family that grew up in Milwaukee why is that? Uh, because my parents were both from the south and um, they never even thought that they would live in Milwaukee but for some random reason they, my, <laughs> my mother was living quite happily in New York my father was living quite happily in D.C. they met and they were very happy to just do this sort of um, shuttle relationship because there's a shell between New York and mm. Washington mm. then my father got a job in Milwaukee and he basically said oh, uh, my parents had married by this point and they said okay we have to I got this job here. Are you going to move here with me or else are we going to kind of have this impossible marriage? And my mother did, you know, move right down. So I'm kind of happy because otherwise it would never have been conceived. <laughs> now, are you the only child? I am the only child. Oh, I, okay. I am the only child. And my father was one of four and my mother was one of one. So there's very few of us. <laughs> <laughs> now, an interesting thing is your father was actually in two wars. Yeah. Korean and Vietnam. Yes, and I think that kind of played a great deal of shaping his psyche. I would never say my father and I were ever terribly close. It wasn't a it wasn't because I was gay. It wasn't anything else to do with anything else with me personally. Mm. It had a lot to do with what happened to him in those wars. He was 17 uh, when he went to the Korean War. and it, That's very young. He lied about his age. And oh. I, I, what I subsequently found out through very veiled references is that he was doing it very tough at home um, for reasons that I can't quite specifically say, um, but he felt life actually he, life was so bad at home that he actually lied about his age to go off to get away from it. Yeah, um, and you know that's why often I think I must have some half sister because you send a seventeen-year-old boy <laughs> off to Korea. <laughs> I just keep on thinking I must definitely have some sort of half sibling out there that's you know significantly older than me. Now the the horrible thing for your father though in Vietnam yep. he became a prisoner of war he became a prisoner of war uh, he had married to been married to his first wife at the time but he was a prisoner of war for so long that he was actually legally con- uh, declared dead oh. um, he had his teeth literally punched out by Viet Cong and I think that more than the Korean War did more damage mm. to him and we could never quite reconcile um, how long was he a prisoner of war? I, he, to get my father to talk about the Vietnam War was almost impossible. What the best my mother and my aunt could ever piece together was that he was a prisoner of war for about 
one and a half years. Right. Yeah. Um, and he it literally, it was so bad to the point that if the word was even mentioned, he was uh, he would actually literally clam up and go uh, uh, go into a different room, which. He, I can say he was about six foot three. I apologize. I give my measurements in Imperial still. <laughs> he was about six foot three and um, 300 pounds. So for a man to literally hear one word and be completely shut down, yeah. it, was, it was quite terrifying for me. Okay. This is On Driven on Joy 94.9. We'll come back to Hikaru's story very soon. Joy 94.9. Joy 94.9. This is Orange Ribbon with Hugh. And my guest today is Hikaru um, from Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can say that now. I, I had yes, to practice you can, you saying can that. Say, you can say Milwaukee. You know, Milwaukee. Brew City, USA. <laughs> now tell us the music. Okay, that was Swing Out Sisters, um, You On My Mind. And it, it's perfect that it's rainy here in Melbourne um, because this was the sort of weather that my mum and I would sometimes just drive on a whim down to O'Hare Airport, which is like the, at the time it was the big, uh, busiest and biggest airport in the U.S. Okay. And we we just walk around the airport because the thing is, Milwaukee, while a lovely place to live, uh, we both kind of felt uh, we just had this desire to always travel and go further. Like my mother was a world traveler, and I, I've gone to virtually every continent now except for South America, as bizarre as that seems. Really? Yeah. So you traveled a lot with your mother? Absolutely. Uh, from age eight, I think, was when we went to Europe. And then our last big international trip together was... I want to say possibly it may have actually been Australia and and that would have been really late that would have been 1993 actually okay yeah. So, what happened to your dad when you and your mother were traveling? Uh, that's it's interesting you say that my parents had a, a very bizarre um, view of, of how to run things uh, my mother um, uh, my father, I'm sorry, my father actually believed that if both of us were gone, if both, uh, if all three of us were gone, then something bad was going to happen to the house. So he believed <laughs> that he should always stay there. So we never had family vacations where we all traveled at once mm. because, uh, you know, it would be either my mother would stay away or my father would stay away. And nine times out of ten was my father staying away because he saw enough of the world in the war. So he really didn't have a desire. I think, to go. I think this was his excuse for not going. Yeah, that was his, that was really what his yeah, excuse was going yeah. to go. Now, let's change the subject a little bit. Let's go on to um, race relations. That's right, because it, there is no there is no screens in television. So, uh, sorry, on radio, so no one knows that I'm black. Well, that's right, <laughs> that's right. So, basically, you're what we call black American. I am black American. Uh, black Americans, and I'm very specific about this, because black Americans come in all shades and that's because we're a really big mix not just we're not just pure Africans we are oftentimes a mix of who slave owners or people who intermarried in or, or white Europeans as well as Native Americans and I myself can uh trace back to not just African ancestry but also to Choctaw and Cherokee ancestry as recent as two generations ago um Okay. Yeah. Uh, but but it, it's it's very interesting that you that we talk about race because my mother was deeply involved in affirmative uh, affirmative action, which is essentially um, racial discrimination uh, legislation, and um, making sure that that was protected as well as all other types of discrimination. And uh, she grew up in the segregated South, which was quite shocking. Mm, mm. It would be, and. Um 
did she ever discuss this with you? She discussed this with me constantly. I grew up about it. And it wasn't it, it wasn't a sort of like uh, telling me off sort of way. It was a sort of just like, it was a fact of life. If you grew up every single day having to, when you're a child, seeing whites only, colored only, you'd bristle about that. Because the, the thing that's really fascinating uh, f- for me is to just sort of see even though those years in the U.S., and they weren't that long ago, the Civil Rights Act. How many rights are we going, how many, like, how many years? <laughs> I'm getting tongue-tied here. How many years are we going back? Uh, let's see. The Civil Rights Act was passed in 1965. It was one of the last legislations that Kennedy actually wanted, and Johnson passed it through. Mm. So, effectively, legal discrimination in the U.S. has only been gone since 1965. Really? And... Um, I think to the most part, it has mostly disappeared. The election of Obama really changed everything. I I was so happy that my mother was actually alive to see that because it was, my mother never cried except that one, except this one time when she mm-hmm. actually saw the fact that Obama won. So where you grew up, yeah. was it mostly black people that lived there? The exact opposite. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in a very wealthy neighborhood. Uh, I, even though I was born in Milwaukee, I was born in a very, uh, I lived in a very well-to-do suburb called Mequon. Hmm. And Mequon is, at the time that I left, so I was there from age one to eight, uh, actually probably age months to 18. At most, it had about 400 people of non-white ancestry in a total county. And a county is equivalent to what you would call a shire or something like that here. Uh, A a total county of 19,000. So... 400 mm. non-white so that's everything under the sun except for that was isn't caucasian was there discrimination no. against blacks then or? well i would say in the 80s in milwaukee it was in the north it's all it has always been more social discrimination it's the fact that you get the sense that maybe you aren't being talked to in the exact same equal way it, it, you know it there is a famous saying that people the people like the ku klux klan because they know where the ku klux klan stands but the hard thing is when you actually have people smile to you and tell you and just sort of treat you in a very odd way that makes you think that they aren't being square with you mm-hmm. but they don't really they can't really say it and it's it's a very odd it's a very odd situation you know so where you come from yeah did the white society stay all together and all the well it's weird because what i actually experienced more in mequine was a sense of class uh classship um in Mequon, it was more about the fact of, did you go to this school as opposed to that school? Did okay. you go to that? Yeah. Uh, because the blacks that I actually saw growing up, and uh, um, you know, and I'm glad I live in Melbourne now, because otherwise I might get attacked for saying this, <laughs> but the blacks I grew up with were uh, professional sports players and, you know, executives and what have you. So I didn't have the sense that, you know, black equaled poor. I, yeah. I, I find that a bit sort of weird, and it's, been, it's a bit of a schism, but it's a real societal problem. In, in black society we have this thing called the brown paper bag test brown paper bag yes if you hold up a brown paper bag and if you are equal to the shade of that bag or darker or sorry equal to or lighter you are admitted into specials uh special clubs such as uh, social clubs imagine if the cwa had a similar thing my god yeah and that was up as that was as recent i think it still goes on in some parts in the u.s yeah uh, there was a there is a huge amount of racism attached to uh, yeah. or discrimination even within the own black 
community about wow. that. This is On Driven on Joy 94.9. We'll come back very soon with Hikaru's story. Listen to us right around the nation. Joy 94.9. On Driven on Joy 94.9 with you. And my guest today is Hikaru, who uh, comes from Milwaukee. <laughs> I love saying that name. <laughs> oh, I, I, it, it's, you know, Milwaukee is one of the jokes towns of the, of the U.S. It's, it's considered, if you're from Milwaukee, you're considered a little bit of a hayseed. Now, there's one thing... We were talking about relationships and race relations in the U.S. Um, you mentioned before the show something about Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill. Yes, the Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill. Uh, that was a really seminal thing. Uh, I was about uh, 12 or 13 when it happened, and it was the biggest, most prominent sexual harassment uh case that happened in the U.S., and it really changed my whole entire view on how people relate to each other, because what we had, uh, what happened is that, uh, and, uh, for, and I pretty much figure that most of the audience here doesn't know about it, but Clarence Thomas was going to be uh, chosen to the Supreme Court by George Bush Sr., um, and it came out that the Anita Hill, um, who was his uh, direct... Uh, I think secretary at uh, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission in um, Oklahoma uh, had basically said that this guy is unfit to serve on the Supreme Court because, uh, frankly, he is a pervert, uh, (laughs) for lack of a better term. So there was a lot of very, very, very ribald, uh, I'm not really going to get into much detail, but suffice to say, if you opened up a penthouse letter, it would have been the equivalent of the com- uh, of the sort of testimony that went on. Wow. And it was an eye-opener. I, I mean, it, and it was sort of a, I guess to some extent, to put it in a racial sense, because both Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill were black, they, it was called black-on-black crime at its highest, but it was really, it really changed my own personal views, because around that time was when I came out, and I... I guess to some extent, anything made me more confirmed of my my own um, orientation. It was the fact that I found, I kind of found this sort of repugnant that that this is the way that (laughs) heterosexuals act towards each other than my goodness. But then um, later on, I found out that, you know, the same thing happens with, with, between gay men. I mean, it, 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 it's it's but it's a very interesting fine line because when does it stop being a joke and it becomes you know offensive? offensive when yeah, 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 it's a, yeah. it's a, and that's a really big thing with me. Um, mm. I've always been a very big believer in people's rights. It's kind of one of the reasons why I joined the Socialist Party, uh, <laughs> which you know. It, it, given the fact that I was still living in the U.S. during the George W. Bush years, uh, that was quite uh, an achievement. Right. <laughs> Let's move on a little bit. Um, something interesting that you told me, Hikaru, was that you went to university in Luton. <laughs> yes, I went to who university. Who goes to Luton? <laughs> uh, a lot of people who have holidays in Spain. But I went to when I went to Luton, it was mostly because... Of two reasons. One, I really wanted to get as far away from Wisconsin as possible. Not not necessarily because just of Wisconsin. To, just to let the listener know, Luton, yeah. just in case yeah. you don't know, yeah. is outside London. Yes. Right. Considerably outside London. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But just to give them an idea of where it, it is. It, it is. A, I'm going back to that whole Geelong analogy. It is as far from London as Geelong is from Melbourne. Right. And it's has the Luton Airport has the same reputation mm. as Avalon. Um, I went there... Because it was really far away from Milwaukee, and more importantly, it was cheap. 
it was unbelievably cheap compared to gain, going to university in the U.S. All right. Like, um, let's see, average tuition was about maybe thirty thousand uh, in the U.S. My tuition at Luton for one year was one thousand. Wow. Yeah, that's a big difference. That's a huge difference. Yeah. So I, I couldn't work while I was there, so you know that savings kind of got eaten up, and mm. I was living on my overdraft. But you know, while well, and it, the funny thing is, while I was at Luton, an article came out in the Guardian. Uh, that said, Luton is the worst university alive. <laughs> How did that make you feel? Uh, it made me feel like possibly I need to to go away, uh, leave that university, and I I did, but only because mm. I got cold feet. How did you adapt to life in the UK? Quite well, actually, because for me, I was not a transfer student. I was I was there as a full-time student. So there were American exchange students who basically got attacked uh, by Luton because, you know, the Luton welcome is not the most warm one, uh, particularly I have a very strong American accent. Uh, I was able to modify mine so I sound a little bit more... Uh, I guess posh, but I sound like I was. I, I sounded posh, but I didn't mm. sound like I was quite totally. You know, uh, hey there. Yeah. Luton itself. I've never actually been to Luton. You're you're not missing. I'm much. not missing anything. No. <laughs> um, the people that live there has, is it mixed races or? Uh, well, uh, Luton uh, does have a very interesting reputation, particularly in modern days, because uh, Luton was actually where the uh, bombers from on the seventh of June was seventh of July. Uh, the, that London had those bombings, that's where they set off from. Uh, Luton has a very strong um, South Asian population as well as Middle Eastern population as well as Irish Catholic. So, really? Yeah, you, you can imagine. It was it was a powder keg uh, mm. waiting to burst while I was there. Talking about um, bombings, you were actually in yeah, two bombings. I, I was. Uh, in 1999, the, a guy who was trying to join the BNP, and uh, perhaps you can explain to our listeners what the BNP is. No. The British <laughs> National Party. Oh, <laughs> British National Party. Yeah, the BNP is a, a, an extremely right-wing organization. Right. Okay. Um, okay. Enoch Powell, that all that sort of people. Yeah. Um, he was trying to join the BNP, so he decided to attack several places. He attacked Brixton, which is the home of London's black population. Mm. He attacked Brick Lane, which is the home of London's South Asian population. And he attacked Soho, which is the hub of London's gay population. Mm. I had the uh, uh, I, I, misfortune, I guess you could say, to be uh, walking in Brixton uh, when one went off. And again, a few days later, I was in Soho, uh, actually at the Admiral Duncan, and I went out, had a drink, because in London you, you, when you have to go from one train station to another, you're able to you know, go through the city on mm. the tube. Uh, so I decided, hey, let's take a break between tube, uh, between tube stations and go out, have a drink. And, um, well, the thing that was really kind of got to me there is that I got, um, I just left the Admiral Duncan, and then boom. Wow. And um, Were you hurt at all? I wasn't hurt, but the thing was that I discovered one interesting thing about myself that would kind of save me a little bit later on in life, which was that I kind of went numb. I mm. didn't deal with this for about two years. Um, actually, even, yeah, not two years, three years, sorry, because um, I essentially just 
couldn't believe it, and I just thought, I have to get back to Luton. I just walked, found my way back to King's Cross Station all the way from Soho, mm. um, and just was completely shut down during the whole entire thing. Wow. You must have... Um you must have been terrified when it happened, though. That was more terrifying to me than September 11th. Mm. Um, and that I, I was in New York on September 11th, and I was sort of just like, as long as, the tr- as, long as the, there aren't tanks rolling down the street, I'm fine with it. Mm. You know, that was my whole reaction to September 11th. Wow. This is on Driven on Joy 94.9, and uh, stay with us, and we'll come back to Hikaru's story very soon. Your voice, your radio station. Joy 94.9. Joy 94.9, this is on Driven with Hugh, and my guest today is Hikaru, who comes from Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> Milwaukee. Milwaukee. City by the way. I'll say by the lake. Uh, now tell us about the music. That was Stella Jones, Die Welt Drexik Verkehrt, the Austrian entry for Eurovision in 1995. Eurovision. Now hold off on yeah, Eurovision. I am, We're going to come to that. Because <laughs> <laughs> if I let him go just now, we'll spend the next 15 <laughs> minutes talking about Eurovision. <laughs> and also, we have a message in from Brad. Um, I don't care what you've done to modify your accent, but it's very sexy. I, so. I, I like you, Brad. Um, and, you know, if I wasn't taken. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Brad. Thanks very much for your message, Brad. Now, let's go away from laughter for a couple of minutes. Sure. Let's talk about something that was very sad for you. Yeah. Your, your father died in February 2002. Yeah, two days, be- uh, in fact, two days before my, my birthday, which is oh. the 6th of February. So he died on the 4th. Um, and that was very, I, I can't say, my father and I kind of reached a sort of civility with each other. It, I was very lucky that it never had anything. My father was actually extremely um, open towards me being gay in the way that someone from his age group could be, mm. which is that uh, he made no big deal of it, about it. But uh, the thing about it that I think was his best, I guess, eternal present was that I'd never had that many people at uh, any birthday party that I've ever uh, had in my life. Mm. Um, for that one brief period in time, and it could have only happened this one time because a lot of people there died in the interim, I had pretty much my whole entire family for me wow. at, at my birthday party. And it was it was very, very moving. It was My father was there in spirit. Mm. Yeah. And unfortunately, in 2010, your mother passed away. Yes, she passed away of uh, breast cancer. Wow. Um, and it was, I had... I guess we kind of knew more preparation for that, but fortunately it was very sudden because my mother prized herself on being very mentally acute. Mm. And so we could sense that there was a bit of a deterioration and it it, it changed a lot. I was very fortunate though that uh, my partner, Hi there, Michael. I can I can out him by by that bit uh, there because I know that he's tuning in. uh, Was there and was able to really take care of uh, me, and he stepped up to the plate Mm. in a more immense way to literally go from uh, Sydney to you know Milwaukee, which is no mean feat. Milwaukee's right in the middle of the Mm. U.S. at the drop of a hat was quite amazing. And I suppose being the only child, yeah. There's there's no brothers or sisters there to no, support you. Not, not, none whatsoever. I kind of had uh, my my partner very wisely uh, and uh, quite touch movingly took up that role, but uh, um, 
I had to take over my mother's company, and uh, I was, I was, I'm a trained journalist. I've been a journalist for eight years. What do I know about? I know what's right and wrong, and I'm more interested in pointing it out, but I don't know how to run an affirmative action company. I don't know how to run a management consultancy. Mm. And I was living in Australia, so there's a 17-hour time difference I had to deal with. It was probably the most stressful period of my life. Yeah. Talking about your partner, you met your partner in New York yes, in 2007. He loves to say this, and I, 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 I keep on rolling my eyes whenever he does, but he loves to say that there's about four million gay men in New York, and we met each other, and it means so much. <laughs> I, I said, like, you know, we say that, but the fact of the matter is that when you live in New York, you only really go around one block, and we just happen <laughs> to be in the same block at the same time. Um, but no, we, we met, and we have been together now. We're going to have our fifth anniversary this year wow. in June. Um, and, it, you know, with us, it was very... You know, you're very lucky sometimes to meet people that you're right in the frame of mind with. There was really no courtship because both of us really don't care for courting. We kind of want, we want to know from like day one, is this worth... I love the way you said that, courting. <laughs> well, it's courting. I'm like, I don't date. I don't like dating. I I want to know if I'm going to waste my time. Let me at least be wasting my time with someone that I want to waste a lot of my life with. Okay, so you like to get to the point. I like to get to the point. Otherwise, you know, um, my right hand does the, does the same thing. So why Australia? Why did you end up coming here? Apart from the fact that your partner is well, Australian. Well, I'm not going to give the specifics of why we wound up in Australia, but let's just say in a very polite way, he got very homesick and uh, there was a very strong reminder of him to go come back home. Um, and he came back home and um, I followed him uh, a few years later and we lived in Sydney for two years. And so that was 2009. So when my mother passed away in 2010, I was pretty much considering myself an Australian. And um, actually that brings us to why I'm here at Joy because I used to listen to Joy as my way of sort of feeling like I was back home. Mm. I, I actually, and it, it's, uh, I was actually listening to uh, your, your co-host Leo's show, Sound Museum. Uh, for many uh, for many months, so mm-hmm. and I've never told him that. So Leo, if you're listening now, I've I've outed my story, so you can. <laughs> if Leo and John are listening now, I'm gonna, they're going to give me so much stick on Wednesday night. <laughs> but yes, I, I was listening to them um, and it, them uh, the Glory Boys, uh, everyone at breakfast. I'm I'm ser- I'm being very serious. Like this has been the fulfillment of a dream to actually be here at Joy. At Joy, yeah. So. When you first started with Joy, yeah. what did you do? I was, uh, well, and I still am with a show called uh, Worldwide Wave. Uh, I'm on a bit of hiatus that uh, due to Eurovision, uh, but uh, Worldwide Wave is on Wednesday nights at 11 p.m. Uh, and it was a worldwide, it was, it really woke up my journalist side that I kind of had to keep dormant for a whole entire year when I was running things with my mother. And it, it's really, it was really, it's been really moving. We, we've had some really amazing interviews on that. We we're going to be talking to South Africa, which was, my mother would be absolutely, I'm really curious to see what my mother's spirit is going to think about me <laughs> talking to South Africa because I grew up with South Africa actually being considered a swear word. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, I'm now involved with uh, Joy's Eurovision coverage at joyeurovision.com, where you, very kindly, are one <laughs> of the members of our Joy Eurovision disc, along am, with, yeah, yeah. and it's, it's, it's online, joyeurovision.com. You can go listen to Hugh talk about 
I, I was, you've got the most interesting perspective on it at all because you gave us all winners and, 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 and Andy Bell, my co-host, and also on Saturday night. I kind of feel like I should be on Saturday nights more appropriately. Um, but Gabe was sort of saying there thinking like, oh my God, we've all got winners here. And you, it was fascinating talking to you. You're, you're, you're a little bit of a Eurovision nut. Oh, yeah, yeah. I grew up with Eurovision. Uh, but, but I have to say, I have to tell the listener this. We recorded this, I don't know, podcast or whatever yeah, you want to call it. Yeah, a podcast. It. It's a podcast for And um, for about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting with Andy and Hikaru, and they know everything about <laughs> Eurovision. I thought I knew a lot, but as it turns out, I know nothing compared I, to I you. have to ask you this question, Hugh. What do you think of the fact that Engelbert Humperdinck is going to be representing the UK this year? Really? Yes. Engelbert Humbert. It's official. It's official. Wow. Okay, I don't think we'll win it this year. <laughs> <laughs> he will be the oldest contestant this year at 75 years old. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I must watch just to see this. <laughs> I can't believe that they're actually doing that. But yep. Anyway, mind you, they made a big thing of it on the internet about we're going to disclose who it is and everything else. I but. think that was really genius on their part, you know. Now, talk about Eurovision, God. Okay, Eurovision for me, I, I came to it during my first year at Luton. And um, it was because the UK was hosting it that year. And so they had a huge thing with it. And I just loved it because I actually really do like pop music and mm. for me it was pop music in foreign languages and it wasn't a, and I guess it was kind of a really important year because that was the year that Dana International won so um, you know calling back to that journalistic side to me I was just like I've got to find out everything about it you know mm. um, and I just became hooked um, because that night we recorded the podcast yeah you were just reeling off dates and names, and and I, the more you did it, the worse I felt because I'm thinking I know nothing compared with this guy. I mean, you've you've got all the stats down. Uh, it's it's a really it's 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 I call myself the encyclopedia. Like my my co-host on Worldwide Wave, Squirrel Maine, uh, uh, says all the time to me that I pretty much any time she has to just sort of find out filler she just asks me questions and I know them off the top of my mm, head mm. I don't know what it is I it just Eurovision just it, it 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 brings people together but there's also a deeper story there and um you know Andy uh, Andy probably can do that bit better than I can but it's so much more about politics and it's much more about building a world where we can all sort of look at each other um, the most recently we're going to have another Joy Eurovision disc uh, where um, we talked with Trev of Monday uh, Monday Drive and he had the best quote which is that Eurovision imagines a world where all wars could be settled by song contests and were run by women and gay men Wow! there yeah. you go mm-hmm. now the Eurovision night is yeah. going to be huge here, isn't it? It is going to be massive. And there is, I, I'm pretty much preparing myself to just, you know, I'm going to build a little fort and just say, this is where I'm going to be sleeping for the next two days. <laughs> it's going to be massive. We definitely want you all joining. Go to joyeurovision.com. We're on Twitter, Joy Eurovision. We're on Facebook, Joy Eurovision. Um, and it's going to be, there's going to be a show that's going to be yeah. on, on Saturday nights, um, right after the 200th episode of The Full Catastrophe. Wow. Yeah. Okay. 
This is Andrew on Joy 94.9. We'll come back to Hikaru's story very soon. <laughs> Joy 94.9. Andrew on Joy 94.9 with you. And our guest today is Hikaru. Now, unfortunately, we're almost at the end of the show. Ah, yeah. So, so we won't find out about how the one time I dressed in drag and ran through the middle of Luton um, on a tear. <laughs> Uh, but which I think everyone should do at least once in their life. Uh, Why did you run through the time? <laughs> <laughs> because I was 18 and I really didn't know better. But I honestly have to say it is probably more liberating than anything else. I think it's probably more liberating than going on a nudist beach. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> now, just very quickly, one thing. If there's anything you would like to say to someone about coming out, because you came out at the age of 15, yeah, I, what would you tell them? I'd say that the fear of it is better because there's, a, you know, coming out at any age is great, but, you know, if you can come out earlier, you'll have a great normal life, and no matter what anyone says, it always gets better. And, uh, you know, we need more We need more kids coming out at the right age, you know. Yeah. No regrets when you're when you're an adult. No regrets at all. Yeah. No regrets on your part. None whatsoever. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, I have enjoyed talking to you today. I've I enjoyed talking to you. We're we're, go- we're actually going to be doing it again on yeah, um, yeah Labor Day breakfast. Labor Day breakfast, uh, six thirty. There'll be Hikaru and myself doing the <laughs> breakfast show. Um, how that's going to turn out, I don't know. But it'll be fun. It'll be <laughs> very fun. I'm looking forward to the it. The trouble is, I laugh all the time when I'm with you. So. <laughs> Now, now, coming up next is one of my, my other favorite people here next to you. Uh, it's Chappelle. Chappelle is coming up. Mm-hmm. But that is on stream for another week. Our thanks to Hikaru for taking time out to have a chat with us. Or with anytime, me. Hugh. Anytime. Also, thanks to Mason and Ryan for helping us out on program support this afternoon. Coming up next, as uh, Hikaru said, is the Chappelle Show. First, um... We are going to pass over to Sydney again. Oh, no, we're going to go to the news first <laughs> with Byron. Andrew, we'll be back again at the same time, 4 o'clock next Saturday afternoon, with more insights into our GLBTIQ community here in Australia and around the world. From myself, you, and my guest, Hikaru. Bye-bye. Have a great week. Take care. Thank you for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.